This talk was recorded at the 2019 Actuarial Society of South Africa Convention at the Sandton Convention Centre. For more information on the Actuarial Society, visit actuarialsociety.org.za. Good, good afternoon. Have you enjoyed your coffee to wake up after a boring speech? I will tell the guy when I meet him that uh, your speech was boring. Um, we, we, th this, this is an interesting uh, session that we're in. Uh, it will probably be quite a unique one. Uh, very few of you would have experienced a similar type of uh, presentation. And um, Valhalla Devet, I think many of you who have changed jobs recently would know Valhalla Devet. That's what he does. I once said to him, Marawena, don't you feel guilty you are responsible for moving people around? He said, did I come to you or did you come to me when you moved? Sorry. Okay. Case in point. Um, so Valenam Devet has done some interesting work. Uh, when he started uh, with his uh, business, he actually moved to a rural place. It's not a rural village like the one I come from, but it's still quite far from the city. And uh, while he was there, he noticed that there was a problem in the area with the children. And they don't have the kind of opportunity that his own children have. And he did something about it. And I think for me, uh, what, uh, what I felt uh, that uh, uh, he needs to share this story with, with, with us as a profession um, is because, you know, when you see that there's something wrong um, in your context, uh, you do something about it. And uh, I'm looking forward to hear what Valhelm did and how he did it. Valhelm, please uh, join me on the stage. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Susani. Can you hear me fine? Perfect. Yeah, so thanks for the opportunity. Um, it's a story of ordinary people getting together uh, to try and do something. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Wilhelm de Wett, uh, and uh, I'm, I've been married to Elena for nearly 20 years, my love of my life. I have four children, three boys and a girl, uh, and uh, I've, yeah, I've worked, at, at, I started off my career at Sunlam, I then moved to London, worked at Prudential uh, for a couple of years, came back to Sunlam, and then started the recruitment business, which I now run with uh, my sister Henda, who's somewhere in the crowd, brother-sister combination of actories, and, um, and that enabled me to live anywhere I want, and, uh, and yeah, so for the past 12 years, I've, I've lived in Bonnyvale. So for those of you that scratch your heads and say, where's Bonnyvale, I thought it would be good to uh, have a map, but now this is not. Aha. So <laughs> just to give you some context. So Bonnyvale is about two hours drive from Cape Town. Uh, and it's a, it's a rural town with roughly 12,000 people living there. Uh, it's largely dependent on, on agriculture. And um, our sing single biggest employer is Parmalat Cheese Factory. We brainwash our children from a very young age to tell them it's the biggest cheese factory in the Southern Hemisphere. Whether that's true, I don't know, but we do, we tell them that. Um, it, it employs roughly 900 people uh, permanently. And for those of you that have been there, it really is a beautiful place. For those of you that don't, it, you should come and visit. Um, but yeah, before I start talking about the challenges we've had in Bonneville regarding education, uh, maybe yeah, let's take one step back. And uh, I want to sort of talk about you know, what happens to our children in South Africa in general. So this was a study done in, in, in 2060 by uh, Van Broekhuizen and Van der Berg. 
And they tracked the, the 2008 National Matric Cohort, and they realized that uh, for every 100 children that start school in South Africa, only 60 write matric. And of those 60 that write matric, 37 pass. Of the 37 that passes, uh, 14 get a, get a bachelor pass, which gives you the opportunity to go to university. And of those 14, 12 actually go. And uh, of the 12 that goes, six get some form of an undergraduate degree, and four of those get a, a, a degree within six years. So with that as a backdrop, and I mean, we see that in Bonneville. In rural South Africa, I think the picture is even worse than that. Um, so in Bonneville, yeah, we, we had a big challenge. So the challenge we had in Bonneville was we had 11 primary schools. We had 11 primary schools. The biggest primary school was roughly 1,200 children. The second biggest was 600 children. So in total, we had roughly 2,500 children in primary school. We only had one high school, 350 desks. And you don't need to be an actuary to say, to say that, uh, you know, 2,500 children don't equate to 300, 350 children at high school. So while the existing high school was a great school, it really is, it still is a great academic high school. It, it's achieved 100% pass rate for many years, for 15 years plus. There just wasn't enough space. So using my very limited Excel skills as an actuary, I, <laughs> I, I, I just took the numbers from the, from the local primary school and uh, we realized that you know, within five years, we would ha we have 1,200 children in our community that don't have access to a high school. And, uh, and, uh, and many people ask me, so, so how did you get involved? And, uh, and I was the chair of the governing body of the, um, of the only existing high school in Bonneville. And the tears and the heartache and the gut-wrenching stories of parents and teachers that don't get access to a school ended up on my table. And so our journey began. So for decades, we had roughly two to 300 children that had to be bussed out of our town to neighboring towns. So our, so that's Robertson, Ashton, Montague, for those of you that know the area. And uh, while it's not far, it's 15 to 30 kilometers away, you know, the reality was that many of our children, they, they, they grow up in broken homes. Family structures are completely broken. And, and if you don't have the support at home, it really is difficult. And, and while in summer, it's, it's, it's easier to get onto a bus at 5.30 in the morning, um, in wintertime when it's cold and you have to get onto a bus at 5.30 in the morning, it's just too easy to stay in bed and, and become part of the national statistics. So in uh, the beginning of 2016, we, uh, we approached the Western Cape Education Department. And we said, right, we need a new school in Bonneville. It's clear, these are the numbers, here's the graphs, we need a new school. But they just said, listen, sorry, we, we don't have the funds, we don't have, you know, we just can't do it. So, but they said, and, and, and to their credit, they were very, very supportive. They said, we, we can go into a partnership with you if you, can, if you can do four things. And they challenged us. They said, if you can give us land, usually land is political. You know, land belongs to municipality, and when one party supports it, the other is against it. And it's, so if you can give us land, that, that would help. If you can give us community, if you can prove to us that you've got community support, the community backs it, then, uh, then we can talk. It's long-term sustainable plan. They said, we, um, we see too many, too, too many schools that fail after five years. We want you to be involved in this in the long run. And then lastly, they said, uh, 
and by the way, we, we don't have money, so they had this mechanism where uh, you can, they can give 60% uh, towards the construction cost of building a school. If, if they have, oh no, 40%. If they have a, a third party that's willing to build a school, they are able, for every six rand the private party gives, they, they, they are able to give four rand. So, uh, so they were able to give us 40% uh, um, of the construction cost. And so we did a few rough calculations and we realized, listen, our contribution would probably need to be in the region of 50 to 55 million rand. And uh, yeah, so we, we got into our car, my car, we drove back to Bonneville, and I think secretly the, the, uh, the education department thought, okay, so that's the last we've seen of these guys, and uh, they waved us goodbye. But uh, we came back to Bonneville, and, uh, and we prayed about it, and we were more convinced than ever that God really wanted to heal our community, and we, we had a role to play in it. So uh, within a week, a week later, we got into my car, we drove back, and uh, we told the education department, at that stage it was myself and Philip Juncker, he's a winemaker, and he said, uh, so they had the perfect piece of land, 12 hectares, right in the community, and they said, right, they're willing to, 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 to donate half of the land, half of, half of the 12 hectares, um, towards the project, and sell the other half at a market rate. So um, my wife and I, I mean, we're very blessed. So we said, okay, we will buy the other half. So within a week, we went to evaluator. We said, okay, what's the, what's the cost of this? And we, we bought the other half from them. And within a week, we went back to the education department and said, right, we've got the land, perfect piece of land. We spoke to a few key individuals within the community, and we said, right, we've got community. We've got the backing of the community. Um, we, uh, we gave them a long-term sustainable plan. We said the, uh, the 15 people that we talked to, that picture there is the, our first governing body. That was a, a, that was a smarty box of people. We had 15 people, you know, black, white, colored. You know, we had old, young, male, female that represented town, Happy Valley, Mountain View, the farms, our informal settlement. We had people from everywhere. The only common denominator we had amongst that group was faith. We all believed that we had to play a role in this. And, um, and then lastly, we, uh, we said, listen, sorry, about the 50 million, we don't have it. Um, <laughs> but, um, but we believe that this is God's vision for our town. We really believe that God wants to heal our community, and he's going to be our source. And uh, our job is going to be to knock on doors, and, uh, and we, we trusted that, uh, that God will open doors for us. And uh, yes, so... Our big focus, so I've, I've, I'm, I'm talking so much, I don't even know where I am now. <laughs> uh, our big focus was to build a technical school of excellence, and I'll get to that in a minute. But above that, our main aim was the restoration of self-worth. I mean, we, uh, we sit with learners that grow up in poverty, and uh, they have no hope. They have no vision. Our biggest challenge last year was to, you know, the children came in there, and they just existed. Um, they had no dreams of what they wanted to become one day. Um, they were really stripped of their value. I mean, if we, if we look at our informal settlement, and, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well, you know, the kids, four, five years old, their eyes are still sparkling, they run around, they believe they can become anything they want to. They really do. And I think they do have the potential. But then, by the time they reach sort of age 9, 10, 11, they start to value themselves by what they see around them. And what they see around them is broken, it doesn't work, it's poverty, and then their own self-worth drops. And by the time they get to us in high school, their eyes are physically dull. You can see it. Um, yeah, so 
our big focus is character building. We want to instill in these kids character. Um, many of our kids grow up in fatherless homes. One of the ECD facilities that we support uh, recently, I saw the stats, 166 ECD children in, in the facility, of which 140 single mothers. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, we really need to model values to our kids. So we've got a long school day. We start at 7 a.m. We serve breakfast for everyone that wants breakfast. We, uh, we then have school. We serve lunch to everyone that wants lunch. Then after school, we've got a study and a homework period where kids can do homework uh, with under supervision of, of teachers. And because um, many of our kids don't have, they don't have a proper table and a proper chair at which they can, they can do their homework. Um, then after that, we've got character building sessions. So f sessions that focus on you know, values, focus on you know, you know, what, is, what does a father look like? What does a mother look like? What does a healthy family structure look like? You know, ethics, work ethics, um, finances, things we teach our children, me and you teach our children without we knowing it because they watch us. They see us do it. They see me interact with my wife. Our kids don't have that. So, um, yeah, so then after that, many of the farmers in, 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 in season, they, they just drop off crates of fruit. So we then give out snacks. Then we've got sport. We've got rugby, netball, cycling, drama, chess. And then they go home at 5 o'clock, hopefully uh, tired, so they can come back tomorrow. Um, our building project had many, many miracles. I mean, we were a group of people with no experience. I'm an actuary. I have no building experience whatsoever. Philip's a winemaker, no experience. Karen, our other trustee, he's a, an engineer, but really a young guy with no experience in building. And... Um, and <laughs> And, and, uh, and Augusta, she's the teacher. So we had no experience. But in hindsight, I think that was good. Because if we knew what we were getting ourselves into, we probably would never, would never have started. Um, the first piece of the puzzle was the architect. So, I mean, we had this perfect piece of land. So we, we approached the architect. We said, right, listen, what are the chances you can design a school for us? You know, we need a school for 1,200 learners. Uh, and, uh, you know, can you do it, first of all? And secondly, um, by the way, we don't have any money to pay you, so <laughs> would, you, would you be willing to do it for free? Yeah. And, uh, and, he, and he thought about it, and he said, yes, you will do it. And uh, at that stage, I mean, I, I thought, yeah, you know, we've been working through the night for four months, and uh, we thought, uh, you know, what? You know, to do plans, how, how difficult can it be? I mean, it's like three weeks of, of little sleep and, and, and get the plans. But in hindsight, I mean, he had to be on site every single day of construction. I mean, the sacrifice he gave was just, it was immense. In the same way, we approached the civil engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, the uh, land surveyor attorneys, and everyone just said, yes, they will do, they will do it for free. Um, in November 2016, uh, Philip, on a Monday morning, 8 o'clock, approached Morrison uh, Earth Moving Company in Robertson. And he shared the vision with them and said, we want to heal our community. And the owner of the business is, uh, is Johan de Preer. And I don't know if any one of you have dealt with earth-moving companies. Uh, they're tough people. I mean, usually bearded. They, they have beards. They, um, um, they wear khaki clothes. They're, uh, <laughs> they're, uh, their skin is like leather. Really, it's tough. They, they, they spend lots of time in the sun. And um, so Philip was sharing the, the, the story, and, and the owner was, was getting emotional. And Philip said, yeah, sorry, did I say anything? And he said, you know what, any other day, you, if you came to me any other day, my answer would have been different. But 
that weekend, he, he was in a mighty men conference with Angus Buchan, Uncle Angus Buchan. And the whole theme of the weekend was, you know, we as Christians need to go and make a difference there where we live. If we wait for government to fix our problems, it will never happen. And, and, he, and he challenged everyone there. He said, you know, you need to go and pray about it and ask God to show you where you can go and make a difference. And Johan said he sat there and he was so convicted. He knew he had to do something. He was so blessed, but really didn't know what to do. So we say, you know, God has a sense, for you, sense of humor because less than 24 hours later, you know, Philip said, can you help us with this? So they gave us all those yellow machines for free. So every single machine, all the mechanics, all the operators, everything for free. The only thing that, that cost them money was, was, uh, was the diesel to put in there. And um, so we have a local guy, Canoli um, Beekes. He's a gifsmoos. Uh, uh, he's, <laughs> um, he's selling pesticides to the farmers. And, um, and yeah, he went to the farmers and he said, listen, you see that diesel truck? This is the story. You see that diesel truck? That diesel truck takes 1,000 liters. Are you going to give us two, two trucks, one truck, or half a truck? Then the... <laughs> <laughs> then, then the farmers would sign next to their names. We would take the names to the co-op. They would put it onto their account, and we would just go and fill up the, the diesel truck at, at the co-op. Um, they, uh, yeah, they, in the end, we put in more than half a million rands worth of diesel into those machines. Um, Philip then asked your underpay, he said, so when can, we, you know, when, when, when can you do it? So the owner of the earth moving company said, listen, if... Um, we can't give you the machines when they are busy working on other projects. You know? so, and, and this is November. This is November 2016. So, so, yeah, so we can't give you the, 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 the equipment when they're busy with other projects. And, uh, and so Philip said, okay, so when will, when will they be available? And so Jan said, maybe next week. <laughs> We're like, but it's still a, it's still a wine farm. It's, uh, it's still got vineyards on it. It's not been rezoned. We were still busy with the applications to do that, with the, 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 the tests and everything. And, um, but we realized that within 14 months from now, this school had to be operational. The kids had to be in there with their school clothes. So in faith, we said, you know, let's do it. Let's go for it. And, uh, and yeah, but it was still a wine farm. So, uh, so Philip came back and... Um, we approached the two local two rugby clubs, and we said, right, every single person we, we approached, we said, first of all, what's in your heart? And what lives in your heart? And we started talking to people. We, st we sat around tables with people to find out, you know, to get to know each other, to find out what's in your heart. And, uh, and then secondly, we asked them, you know, what's in your hand? And many people don't have money. They, they couldn't contribute financially. But in the case of the rugby clubs, you know, they could take out the vines. So that weekend, you know, on the Friday, Philip walked around the farm with a bag of chalk and threw out you know, little lines and told the rugby clubs, the captains, and said, right, okay, see, these vines, they need to go. And we had to go away for the weekend. And on Sunday night, when we came there, all the vines were out. The clubs came on their own without any payment, nothing. They came out and they took out the vines. Um, some, one, of, one of the guys uh, commented, he said, you know, because most of them are farm workers, he said, you know, in his life he's taken out many vineyards because, you know, every 20 years you replace your, your vines. And uh, he said, but uh, in his life he's never taken out vines with bunches of grapes on them. And, uh, yeah, so that was a great testimony. It really was a community effort. Uh, we got everyone involved. We did, we, I mean, we, we had a very divided past, but we did simple things. We picked up stones together on the sports field. We prayed together, yeah, and uh, we even had a campaign at the local supermarket where you could donate two rand fifty uh, towards a brick, 
uh, if you wanted to donate a brick towards building a school. So everyone had the opportunity to contribute. So whether you gave two rand fifty for a brick, you know, eighty rand for a bag of cement, or whether you gave two and a half million rand for a workshop, this was everyone's cool. Our, uh, our rezoning application, we submitted our rezoning application on the 15th of February 2017. When we submitted it, they said, listen, they've got a year to respond, and typically these requests take about two, two and a half years to, to finalize. And we said, listen, we've got 10 months, and the school needs to be up and running, so we don't have... And they said, no, I mean, it's a government process, don't, don't rush us, uh, you know, they'll get back to us when, when they can. So we left it there. The education department in the meantime challenged, they said, listen, you promised us that there would be kids in the school, but you now need to start to enroll them. So, you know, we bought printers, laptops, and, uh, and we went to the local primary schools. And then we would go to the parents and the children and said, right, you need to enroll in this new school. And they would say, what school? <laughs> and we would say, no, that flat piece of land there at the bottom, there, that, that's going to be a school at the end of the year. And to show the desperation of the children, you know, by March 2017, we had 163 children that wanted to be in the school that didn't have any, anywhere else to go. We had to appoint a headmaster in, in May 2017, and uh, you know, he had to resign his job uh, in Bloemfontein. He's a, a principal there. And uh, the other day he told me he didn't realize that we didn't have approval to build when he resigned. <laughs> so... But yeah, he resigned his job. Um, we appointed uh, uh, the contractor. We went out on tender process. We, we had four companies to tender. We appointed a contractor at significantly lower rates than what otherwise would have been possible. Um, and we asked them, we said, right, you know, we need, this school needs to be completed by the end of the year. Uh, you know, 16th of December, there's public holiday, and then usually it's building holidays, so everyone's, everything stops. So we need to be completed by the 16th of December. So you tell us, when is the latest we can start? And they put it into their, their, their project management uh, programs, and they said, right, if we, the 16th of June is, um, is, is, is youth day. If we don't start on the 17th of June, assuming no rain, then we won't be able to finish. So we always joke, and, and those that live in the Western Cape won't find it funny, but uh, on 2017, we experienced the biggest drought ever. So, and that was because we had to build a school. <laughs> um, on the 10th of June, we had our groundbreaking ceremony. We stood there, we prayed together, uh, the whole community, and we realized that you know, if, we, if, we, if we don't get approval within a week, then we, we're not, we won't be able to finish. And uh, I can still remember where I was. I was walking towards my car when I got the email on my phone on the 13th of June to say, you've got approval, you've got rezoning approved. On the 17th of June, um, uh, we, we, we started with construction. This picture was taken exactly five months before completion. It was nothing. Uh, and... Uh, we received roughly 70 million rands worth in, in donations, in cash and in kind. Uh, you know, many people just gave their time, their expertise, didn't give us any, any invoices. And uh, on the 14th of December 2017, we had our opening ceremony, and, uh, and God really did something special in Bonneville, and was there for all to see. The biggest miracles by far was not the construction, was not the building. The biggest miracles were the changes we witnessed in children's lives. Um, 
at the <laughs> at the end of 2017, we we asked the children. We said, "Listen, what can can you just put your stories on paper?" And um, <laughs> ah, sorry. <laughs> um, give me some water. <laughs> And 90% of the kids said, listen, they, they've got a new lease on life. They've, they, um, they have hope again. They have dreams. Their lives have changed. Um, <clears throat> children that had no hope, they had no vision, they had no dreams, they started to believe in themselves, and they started to dream about what they wanted to become one day. I want to go back to, to this slide. And, um, I mean, according to Stats SA, we've got 57% youth unemployment in South Africa. And, and in my opinion, and in our opinion, that's the problem. You know, that's our challenge. We're sitting with 63% of children in South Africa that, that, that don't finish school. And, it's, and it's, those hope, it's that hopeless situation of those kids that really grabbed us by the heart. So, you see, in rural South Africa, when you drop out of school, these kids need to survive somehow. And... Um, and what do you do to survive when you're a girl aged 15, 16, and you've dropped out of school? In rural South Africa, you get pregnant. That's the way you survive, to get access to a Sasa grant. When you're a boy, the way you survive is you either do drugs or you do crime. You keep the police busy. And it's only a matter of time before their self-worth is completely crushed. They've got nothing left. So I wish, as an actor, and maybe Lusani, you can give some of that research money. Um, <laughs> I wish as an actress someone would be able to quantify what, what impact, what financial impact this 63% has on things like social grants, social services, correctional services, health services, teenage pregnancy rates, drug abuse, unemployment rates. I think the numbers will be staggering. If you look at this, I think our biggest observation from this was you know, that basic education is the normal school as we know it, the 12 years we have, that's the only education 90% of our children will ever get to prepare them for life. That's it. We've got 12 years to invest in them. And, uh, and math is a big issue. So this was a study done by Nick Spall and Kotze in 2017, and it compared actual grades of learners um, to effective grades in terms of maths, and it further split it down by, uh, by the wealth of your school. So if you look at the red line, uh, the, the, the wealthiest school, the top 20%, the red line basically tracks the actual ineffective grades track, track each other. So if you're in grade eight, you roughly perform at grade eight level. But if you look at the, the, the green or the blue line, I mean, yeah, blue, the green line, it's a, a blue line, it's the top, the, the bottom 80%. I mean, in, they, they, they perform significantly lower. I mean, and that's a challenge we, we had. In, at Jake Scherville, at our uh, school, when the kids came to us in grade eight, most of the kids in grade eight, they tested grade two, grade three level. Some of them at grade R level in terms of maths. And um, yeah, so it's just, I mean, to give you, of the, of the 112 grade, grade eight learners we took in in, in, um, in in January, in the March exam, zero passed maths. Not a single one. So that's the challenge we're facing. And what we're saying is, you know, and, and while we split our math classes, our math classes is 15 in a class, we really, we've, we've, we've divided them into groups to focus, to, to focus uh, teaching. But, you know, and some of them, you know, they excel. Some of them really were just neglected, and they really perform after, you know, after you give them some love, you give them some attention. 
But there's a big chunk of our children that really, I mean, it's impossible to close that gap from grade 8 to grade 12. It just doesn't happen. So this was another, another, sort of, uh, another study that just sort of highlighted it. So this was a, a study done, done by Scotti in uh, Sizama and Labrant in 2017. And... Um, and what they did is they, they, they broke down the South African adults according to monthly income. And they divided that into different groups, five different groups, and into chronic poor, earning, uh, they need to survive of 495 rand a month. So I adjusted these numbers for inflation into today's terms. So these are not old numbers, these are numbers, values as in today's terms. Uh, the transient poor, 783 rand. The vulnerable, two, two and a half thousand. You're considered middle class in South Africa if you earn 5,000 rand a month. And if you earn 24,000, 24,500 rand per month, uh, you know, gross salary before any deductions or tax, then you're considered elite. I mean, and I think it's fair to say that it's basically everyone in this room. Um, so if you had to guess, how many of South Africans need to live, South African adults need to live of 495 rand a month? Wild guess. 49% of South Africans, need to, adults, need to live, survive, or 495 rand a month. Whoa, this happened earlier as well. 13% need to survive of uh, just less than 800 rand. Another 14% need to live of less than 2,500 rand. And now we've covered three quarters of our adult population in South Africa. You are considered middle class if you earn... Um, Another 20% of us are middle class, that's 5,000 rand a month, and then 4% elite. Um, I've lost my place again. <laughs> so what we've seen in Bonneville and, uh, is what would it take to get people into that 4% group? And what we've seen firsthand, we've experienced it, it's very, very difficult for a child growing up in a household, living in, in the bottom three groups, to jump the middle class and into the 4% elite. It just doesn't happen. We have very, very, very few examples. And if it does happen, it's, 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 it's an outlier. But we have many, many examples, including Karen, our trustee in Augusta, whose parents earned 5,000 rand a month, you know, had a stable income and, and looked after their children. And their children are the engineers and the lawyers and the accountants. So we're saying, how can we get you know, children from those households into the 20%? And the way we do that is with skills. That's our answer. So, we went, first of all, went to the employers. We went to all the local employers and we said, right, what do you want from, from children uh, finishing at our school? And every single one of them said, listen, if you can give us someone with practical skills, someone with technical skills, the chances of us employing that, that child is like significantly more than an academic school. Uh, we also went to the community. We went to the community and we said, listen, what do you want? And that was just echo. They said, everyone's saying, listen, we need a practical curriculum. So, um, we then said, okay, this needs to be a technical school of excellence, and, uh, and we're offering the basic subject, Afrikaans, English, life orientation, and then with that, maths and science, and then with that, you can also either take um, electrical technology, mechanical technology, or civil technology, one of those three subjects. But the requirement is you need to pass at least technical maths. And the reality is that many, many of our children won't be able to do that. So we then looked for solutions. We said, okay, so what, what other practical subject can we offer with math literacy? And uh, with math literacy, 
you are, we, we can do, we realize this in agricultural, and we're living in, in rural South Africa, agricultural management practices and agricultural technology is, perf is a perfect fit. Agricultural technology, the kids spend time in the agricultural workshop, they learn everything that's got anything to do with technology on a farm. So from solar panels to irrigation systems to, to servicing a, a bucky or a tractor, anything that's got anything to do with technology on a farm. And with math literacy, you can also take consumer studies. Yeah, so we've got four train, training kitchens, and the, the girls just love cooking. Um, so yeah, but we realized if, if our vision from the start was a no-fee, no, zero dropout school, and our population in Bonneville is no different from the rest of South Africa, 63% of our children would probably not be able to pass this curriculum. So. Um, yeah, we, we said we don't want a single child to fall through the cracks. So what, what then? So uh, I ended up, I, get it, I got a number from someone. I don't even know, I don't even remember who that was. But I got to speak to the School of Skills principal. It's the School of Skills in Saldana, Kon Kuchlenberg. And the way the School of Skills, it's a special needs school, works is if you've, uh, if you, you can only fail once per phase. So in, in normal education, there's foundation phase, grade one to three, then you've got intermediary from grade four to six, and then senior and, and FET phase. You can only fail once per phase. So if you fail once in grade one to three, you get pushed through. If you then fail another time between four to six, you get pushed through again. You can't fail more than once. So by the time you fail twice uh, and you are pushed through grade six, you can then apply to go to school of skills. And uh, in the Western Cape alone, they had 10,000 applications last year to go to a school of skills. They then assess all these children, and uh, they take the 1,200. They only have space for 1,200. So they take the 1,200 worst-performing children, and they send them to the school of skills. And the other 8,800, they say, sorry, we don't have space. Your chances of making it in mainstream is a lot better than the others. So, you know, sorry, we can't help you. And yet, when we speak to the principals of these schools of skills, they say, what? Our claim to fame is that 100% of our children have got jobs after they finish. And we're like saying, what? It's a four-year curriculum, year one, two, three, and four. Practical. These kids spend half of their day in the workshops, uh, and the other half they do basic academic theory subjects. So like Afrikaans, English, basic mathematics, at a, at a low level, grade four, grade five level. But the practical component is very high. I mean, they spend half of their day in the workshops. And, um, and in their third and their fourth year, they, act, they need to go out in industry. They need to go and work at, at, a, at an employer, a local employer, for three and four weeks, respectively. And, uh, and what these principals are saying to us, many of their children, they have jobs even before they leave school. Because the, the employers are saying, listen, that guy did their practicals in year three and four with us, like his ethics, like the way he works, you know, he can come work with me, with me next year. And then we just realized, listen, that's the solution what we want. So, uh, so at, at Jake's Harville in, in Bonneville, we also then offer a, a School of Skills curriculum. So where we do, in the same workshops where we offer construction and civil maintenance, we also do maintenance and construction. We do welding and in the same uh, kitchens that we do consumer science, we, um, consumer studies, we also do food production. Um, and the employers all say that these are the children that they will probably employ even before the children with a matric certificate. Even though they don't, they only have an NKF1 qualification, which is equivalent to grade seven. The employers are all saying, listen, these are the children, because they've got practical skills, will probably will, will be more employable. We're the only school in South Africa 
with, with, with this dual stream where you can do um, uh, mainstream in the same workshops where we train the engineers, we will also always also train the plumbers, the welders, you know, and, uh, and the bricklayers. And the effect is bigger than we anticipated. I, I'm not exaggerating when I say we get visitors twice a week, have been getting visitors twice a week for the last five months from communities all over South Africa saying that this is the solution we've been looking for. They're sitting with youth in their communities that have got no hope, no dreams, no vision, and this is what's going to change it. In terms of governance, um, the way we work, we're a no-fee public ordinary school. Um, so we are the same. It's a no-fee school. Our children don't pay anything. We, we try and get them to pay a 35 rand per month parents' uh, development fee, but some of them aren't, can't even afford that. Um, we're a donor-funded collaboration school with the Western Cape Education Department. So how that works is we've got, uh, you've got a, a public school, no-fee public school, where all the teachers are employed by the government. They, they work for government. But the SGB, the parents, run the school, basically run the school. On the other hand, other, on the other end, you've got a schools like Kiro. It's a private school, high school fees, uh, you know, and uh, the t t teachers work for the company. The t parents have some involvement, but not as much. And then we're a collaboration school sort of sitting in between. We get all the money that the public schools would have gotten. I mean, but the difference is they pay it into our account. They pay it into the school's account, and we can manage it whichever way we want to. So we can run it like a private school, but with public money. We need to report on it. We need to show them what we did. We need to show them who the teachers are that we appointed. We need to give them all the detail. But in our experience, we can just manage it a lot better than they can. Um, we, um, so all, st all our staff are employed by the SGB, from the principal to the cleaners. Everyone works, works for the SGB. Our funding trust uh, that, that, that got the funds for, for construction, we still get funding uh, that covers additional teachers. Uh, we also appoint counselors uh, and social support. We, next year we will have three counselors. We're also looking to appoint a social worker. And, and if there is a budget on the school shortfall, we will cover that as well. Our funding trust that we started is, is, is a PBO, registered PBO, and we are also BEE accredited, which, which helps with, uh, with, with getting donations. I want to conclude. What were our observations in Bonneville? Roughly 50% of our children are skills candidates. Uh, and uh, between 30 to 40% are mainstream agriculture and, 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 and food, uh, food stream. And then between 10 and 20% of our candidates are, are mainstream technical. But it's the offering of the practical School of Skills curriculum that really sparked the most hope in our community. And offering that, I mean, it's done three things. It restores self-worth. I mean, if um, these kids in the workshop, they, for the first time in their life, they feel as if they can contribute something. I mean, if, if I look at Teswart Adder, he's, he's one of our learners. In his life, he's never passed a, a grade, never. So he's been pushed through every year, every year, every year. He's never got a report card that says you've passed. And at the beginning of the year, in March exam, after the uh, March holidays, we hand out the report cards. And our principal said he was, he was, he was present when the teacher handed over the report card to the, to the father and the son. And for the first time in his life, he got a report card that said you passed. And to, to see the face and to see the, the dad hug his son and say, well done. And, I mean, that is just, it's worth so much. 
Um, I mean, and if you think of all the books written about parenting, the affirmation of a father for a son is just, I mean, now that, that, that gives us goosebumps. It gives hope. I mean, the kids start to talk about what they want to become. They, they, they start to have dreams. Um, all of a sudden, you, you can ask them, so what do you want to become one day? And, they, and they, they, they start to think about it. And not just that, it energizes the local economy, local businesses. For the first time ever, businesses see, uh, see the results. They realize that you know, the kids that come from this school will actually benefit our businesses. So they, they like to contribute. They like to be involved in the school. So those are the things that really, that really works. I mean, in um, the national statistics in Bonneville has names and faces. So, I mean, if I look at the Tesswort Herder, if I look at the Ermeline Windfall, Shewaden Bayers, those are kids that would have now dropped out of school. They would have been somewhere on the street. And, uh, and now they've, I mean, I wish you could experience these kids last year. Last year in grade eight, they had no interest in school whatsoever. They were lying on their arms. They were disrupting classes. They had no interest in school. They, they just, they didn't want to be there. But now, in the workshops, you know, they're first there. They, they can't get enough of doing stuff with their hands. Um, and just like them, there are many, many more. I want to conclude. Two things. We must guard our unity with all we have. The biggest testimony, I think, of our school, the, the, the whole process, was the unity in which it was done. When we came together as a group of 15 people, we didn't trust each other. We, we had different backgrounds, and, uh, and we were all skeptical of each other. You know, I had perceptions about other people. They had perceptions about me. But the fact that we got together, we worked together, we, we got to know each other's hearts. We asked the question around the table, what lives in your heart? And, uh, and that really is a big testimony. And I think out there, the media, everyone, you know, they want to highlight differences. We've got more in common than we, than we realize. Two weeks ago, we had a visitor at our school. And we were, th we were, we were discussing of ways how to roll this out to the, to the rest of the country. And he commented and he said, listen, I didn't realize how special the group of people are that were involved in Bonneville. And I disagreed. I said... I didn't think so. I didn't think it was our cleverness. I didn't think it was our skills. I didn't think it was our dedication. It wasn't our hard work. We were there. We were first-hand witnesses of what happened. Instead, I think the same spirit that lives in us lives in many of you in this room as well. And that made all the difference. Secondly, throughout this whole journey of three years, we, we drew the parallel with uh, uh, Nehemiah in the Bible, Nehemiah, and then Nehemiah, is a Nehemiah in the Bible. They, um, uh, the nation had to read, Jerusalem's walls were broken. They were, they were down. They were in ruin. The city was a mess. It was impossible to fix. And Nehemiah and a team of unqualified people rebuilt the walls in a record 52 days. And the way they did it was everyone took responsibility for the piece of wall in front of them. And the question I want to end with today and ask each of one of you is, what's in your hand? The Nehemiah Wall of South Africa needs to be rebuilt. Uh, it's in ruin. 
it's in rubble. There's lots of rubble. Uh, and in fact, it looks improbable. It looks impossible to, to rebuild. Or do you really believe it's possible? Are you willing to take up your calling and start building? I really believe each and every one of you has a crucial role to fulfill. I thank you. There was a moment when I felt like saying, give that man a bells. But I thought, maybe you, won't, you, won't, you, don't, you don't do bells. But <laughs> there are many lessons for us in this. And, and, and I mean, you can take a, a lot out of this. But I just, just thought I should summarize quite a few things. And then we'll open up the floor for questions. Um, it's quite clear that basic education is the one basic area that needs change. It's a, it's, 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 a, it's a wall that is broken. And it will otherwise produce the people that will visit you unwelcome at night, um, unless we do something and we find a way of, of, of doing something. And there is the current situation where they, um, whether we like it or not, uh, uh, for, for, for some of the people, um, it's already too late to, to, to fix it at sort of under 10 years old and so on. They're already 15, 14, 13, and, and for them, you need to channel them in a way that they can become employable as soon as possible. Um, and, and, and that is what they've recognized and they've really tapped into that and, 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 and they're doing a, quite a, a good job in that. And, and it, would be, it would be good to see a rollout of these uh, schools of skills uh, around the country or to see um, your normal schools also having this section attached to them. Um, and that's, that's a lot of work and, 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 and many SGBs and, 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 and educators around the, the, the country would just not be able to do that without support from, from, from outside. So that, that is one area and obviously there's the long-term uh, improvement of, of the, the, the teaching and understanding of mathematics. Um, I mean that goes uh, together with the understanding of, of, of languages. Uh, but 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 key thing is that the, the 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 educational outcomes in terms of mathematics, the educational outcomes generally in South Africa is poor, and and that needs to improve. And they, they, that's another level of of, of involvement. And the, the, in terms of levels of involvement, uh, there's the governance aspect, uh, the management aspect, and he's in, he's almost full time involved there now. Um, so this school cannot continue with the same quality uh, without the involvement of, of somebody as, as passionate about this as him. So he's involved in governance, he continues to be involved in, in fundraising. Um, he's not involved in teaching, but he's involved in the hiring of the teachers and making sure that you've got the uh, people who are competent and, and have the right attitude towards those kids. Because uh, kids that are coming from the, the type of background uh, that he has described can be problematic and, and, and it, 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 you need to have a way of handling them especially given what Mohueng said as well, um, uh, a couple of, <laughs> well, what the Constitution says is not what Mohueng is saying. But there, there has to be a way of how you discipline and how you manage uh, children that have been neglected over a, a long period of time. 
And, and then there's also a need at, at, at the policy level. What are the issues that need to be done at the policy level? Uh, so the Western Cape Department of Education, perhaps, um, the way they operate made it easy for this to happen. The question is, the other departments of education, would it be as easy to, to do this? Uh, would, will they give you the funding and let you run it privately? You know, th those are some of the things that one needs to understand at a policy level. So we, 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 we're not advocating for involvement in a very narrow way. Uh, we need to be as broad as possible in terms of um, um, our involvement and where we can uh, uh, add value as, as, as professionals, number one. Um, as actuaries, uh, number two, as, as you know, people who have been working in business and how to know how to work with money, people with connections, and how we can bring that to bear in, in these areas. The, the, the one key thing that he mentioned, and we, we also mentioned it, I had it in, in the speech uh, that was done before this, uh, the, the break, was the issue of social cohesion. Um, uh, that is a divided community that they're involved in. It's got all those, uh, your, your, your normal kind of divisions that you get to see in South Africa. And they had to cross that. They had to cross those barriers. They had to work together, they had to hold hands. It was a pre-requirement um, for, for the success of this. The government was interested, you know, is this a community initiative or is it your own ego issue? And it was, he had to humble himself here to be out there with the people um, so that this can be a success. So this, 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 there's a lot that we can learn from this, but I um, thought I should just give the summary and we open up for questions. The mics are available, we'll see at the back. So let's see, let's take three questions. I see memory over there. Um, can I see um, another question? We'll take three, we'll get a response and then we can take another three. Memory, um, go ahead, and I think uh, before you're done, we'll have somebody else. And uh, I see another hand over here. Um, yeah, memory. Or, or... Um, I came here for microinsurance, because <laughs> I saw it's microinsurance there, and I found myself in tears, because the story is so personal to me. Um, I failed grade one, uh, and it took um, strangers to give me hope that I could be um, an actuary, now fully qualified. Um, so I am so inspired by this story. It's so personal to me, and I found myself reflecting at where I started in a, in a village in Zambia, and now sitting here amongst the elite. So this story is so personal, and I'm so grateful that I came here. I said I think this was providence that I found myself here. Um, but my question is, um, I think the female pioneers of our industry um, got told that girls um, can't be actuaries. Um, so I just wanted to find out how many of the girls are doing construction and welding. Okay, so no, you don't have to respond now. You just note that, and thank you for sharing the personal story. I learn about you more every day. You share a nugget about your life, which I had no idea. I just see the, 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 the drama, but there's more to that. <laughs> thank you, memory. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, um, I just want to know, are you... Um, can you maybe make this into a video, just for further sharing? Is there, there is a video, but anyway, yeah. Could, you, could we share that, please? Because it's a very uh, powerful message, and I think the community aspect of strength and community is something that's becoming more and more of a movement in South Africa. Uh, okay. So, so you're starting a movement here, Valerum. Yes, let's get up and Uh, you know, ac activism must be encouraged, especially this type of positive activism. Uh, we, are, we are tired of, of hatred and 
divisions out there. We want to see, we want to get work done. Thank you very much for, for, for raising that. So we'll find a way, uh, Mike McDougall will guide us there and how we can do that. There. So it will have to go through how, how yeah, we will, we will let you know about that. Let's see, hand. there's a question over there. And the, please get my attention if you have a question. Thank you. Well, Adam, it's an amazing story and uh, so inspiring. Uh, we can all learn so much from it uh, in terms of seeing what's in front of us and, and participating in building the country. I wanted to ask about the School of Skills. Um, you've listed three there, uh, three skills that you're focusing on. Are there any uh, more basic skills you plan on introducing at the school? All right, so you can tackle the questions uh, for them. Yeah, yeah, you can stand here. Memory. Um, yes, there are, I would probably say 10%, 15% of our girls do welding construction, but they tend to go to the, to the, to the I mean, it's really, I, if, you, if you're ever in, ever in Bonnyvale, come and visit because um, the training kitchens that we have is like state of the art. It's stainless steel. It's like the, it's, it's something these kids have never ever experienced in their lives. I mean, if you, if you make food on a, on a little fire maybe or a two plate stove, you know, to be able to, to, to learn how to cook and, and, and do things properly in a, in, a, in a training kitchen with, you know, everything and these extraction fans and it, it really looks impressive. What we've seen is the girls tend to go that way. So I mean, we've we've got boys in 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 the food production and consumer studies classes as well, but it's probably a, a you know 80, 85 percent you know the the boys do the construction and the welding and the girls do the consumer studies and, and the food production. I mean, we we don't we don't encourage them to to go either route. They 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 choose with their parents. I think in rural South Africa, the um, the gender roles are more are stronger. Uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, that's 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 the truth. Um, and then video link, definitely, we've we, we've we've got a, a nine-minute video link. It's it's not as um, extensive as, as as the talk, but it, it definitely shares the story well. Uh, I, I, you can come and get it. Where, where can we post it? Uh, we'll find out. So come to me afterwards. And then Matthew. Um, the skills, I mean, they are in, in the School of Skills section, there are, there's actually 24 skills that you, that you can do. So there are, there's curriculums written for 24 skills. I mean, there's everything from hairdressing, you know, to um, carpet, carpet laying, you know, to um, nails, to name it, it's there. It really, I mean, it's, I think it's 24 or 26. ECD, so you can be a, t a teacher assistant or, or ancillary, ancillary health care. So um, many, many of our kids, you know, many of our communities, you know, there's somewhere, somewhere in your family, somebody needs to be cared for. You know, there's either an elderly person or someone with disabilities and, and uh, ancillary healthcare is actually one of the subjects we're seriously considering introducing from next year onwards. Um, so, yeah. Uh, All right, let's, uh, let's get more questions. Uh, do we see? Uh, there's a question over there from Khodiso. There's a question over there as well. If we have the mic, one, two. I didn't see a hand. And then there's a question this side as well. There are three questions. Yes, ma'am. Valalam, uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's very, very inspiring. What is the significance of the name of the school? All right, that's a good question. Khodiso, over there. And then there's a question here. Thanks. Uh, I had the same question. Um, I don't know Sorry. If someone's name. Or, yeah. Where does the name come from? 
Uh, you don't know Jake Scarver? How <laughs> oh, woman? Eh? Who knows Jake Scarver in this room? Okay. Uh, there are some people that are aware of our context. That's <laughs> good. Uh, you, will, you will share a bit about Jake Scarver. Um, thank you for, for the powerful story. Uh, coming from a village myself, uh, one thing our schools really struggle with uh, is resources. So I just wanted to know how you were able to pull so much resources into this school. It's very connected, this man. Okay. So the name, Jake Scherville. Um, so it's something, to, I mean, I didn't know which generation I was. You know, I was at X, Y, Z, you know, when they, when they so, so it's, it's got something to do with your generation. Um, so Jake Scherville was, um, Jake Scherville was the perfect role model for our school. So Jake Scherville was a, was a, was a little boy that grew up in the Eastern Cape. He was the, the son of farm workers in the Eastern Cape. And he, with, through hard work and dedication and studies, worked himself out of that and to a point where he was in the cabinet. He was, he was, he was a right-hand man for Mr. Nelson Mandela in 94 uh, with the change of, 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 of government. So he, yeah, he was the first director general. Yeah, he was, I mean, he had, and yet people don't really know him. People, people still ask, so who, who's that? And that's the beauty of it. That's the role model we want. You know? So we, you know, we, we tell our kids, listen, if, uh, you don't need the spotlight on you, you know, to, to be something. You know, when, you, when you score a try, you, know, you don't run back with your hands like this. <laughs> you, know? You, know, you run back as if it's normal to score a try. You know, you, um, so Jake Scherville was first and foremost, he was a role, he ended up, he was on, on the board of NASPAS, he was on the board of APSA, he was a, he did amazing things in business, in academics, he was rector and he's rector of uni, University of Western Cape and, and he was um, chancellor of Rhodes University. So he's, he, I mean, he did so many things without people really knowing who he is and, and that quality is the one thing that we, we find special. So we, um, we want our kids to aspire to that. Um, in terms of resources, I mean, it wasn't easy, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I shared that and, and I believe that, you know, initially when we started, we had a list of people that we were going to approach, you know, and, and we could just as well have thrown that in the, in the rubbish bin, you know, because the people that we thought was going to contribute didn't. And, and the sources that we did not expect of anything, you know, it's, a, it's the people, you know, people's hearts changed. And, uh, and we, got, we got funding from, from, from unexpected sources, and uh, yeah, so the doors just opened. In terms of ongoing resources, so the, the beauty of this whole thing is that 90, 95% of the cost of the ongoing, of the ongoing cost of the school is covered by government. So the education department gives us all the funding that a normal school would get. Um, so we still need funding, but it's... And, and uh, someone was asking me yesterday, how can they contribute? And, and if, you, <laughs> if, you feel, uh, if you feel you want to contribute, you're more than welcome to. But the success of this, if we want to roll this out to South Africa, it needs to be sustainable by the local communities. So we, we're going to the local businesses. We're going to the, the people sitting in our community and saying, listen, it's your responsibility. These children are as much your responsibility as they are ours. So uh, we want the local businesses to cover that additional 5 to 10% of the costs. And, and that's possible. It's not that much money. Um, yeah. uh, does it answer your question? 
Yeah, we, we have to close this session. It's uh, quarter past one. If you could just uh, clap hands for this work. That's really more than I got, hey? But this is, um, um, and, and it's not just uh, for you, Valhalem, it's the people that you represent, those people that worked hard in your community who will be sustaining this going forward. I've been there myself, I've seen the kitchen. I even ate from that kitchen. I went there with my wife. Um, so it's a beautiful place. So if, you, if you're bored, as we tend to be sometimes, do take a drive from Cape Town, two hours, and you'll be there. It's a scenic drive. Um, and yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for attending. Let's go and enjoy lunch. I think we're all hungry now. I'm hungry. Anyway, thank you very much.